It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. As you all know by now, My name is Oliver North, Lieutenant Colonel, United States Marine Corps. My best friend is my wife, Betsy, to whom I have been married for 19 years and with whom I have had four wonderful children, aged 18, 16, 11, and 6. I came to the National Security Council six years ago to work in the administration of a great president. As a staff member, I came to understand his goals and his desires. I admired his policies, his strength, and his ability to bring our country together. I observed the President to be a leader who cared deeply about people and who believed that the interests of our country were advanced by recognizing that ours is a nation at risk in a dangerous world and acting accordingly. He tried and, in my opinion, succeeded in advancing the cause of world peace by strengthening our country by acting to restore and sustain democracy throughout the world, and by having the courage to take decisive action when needed. All right, that was the voice of Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Uh, That was some uh, 35 years ago as he was sitting before a Senate committee giving testimony on the famous Iran-Contra scandal. And this was during the Reagan administration, and I remember very well sitting just spellbound as he and his assistant, Fawn Hall, uh, were grilled uh, by the Congress. And so uh, there's much to say. Let me just say that Colonel North's bio right now says that he's a combat-decorated Marine, the founder and CEO of Fidelis Publishing and Fidelis Media, and a former president of the National Rifle Association. But the interesting thing to me is, uh, Colonel North, first of all, welcome. And... Sandy, great I, to be with you. Thank you. I just, I just want to ask you if you ever thought in your life that that would be your introduction—that you are uh, a founder and CEO of a publishing company, a, a, a host of a radio, of a television program—did you think that that would ever be your bio uh, in 1987? Well, no, but I don't have the gift of prophecy, and there's proof of it. I, the fact <laughs> is, I've had a very exciting life. I've been blessed in ways that I never expected. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that the opportunities that have been put before us have sometimes been seen as obstacles. That happens to a lot of us. Uh, The ideas of uh, democracy and what it takes to defend freedom were Ronald Reagan's that I've still carried with me ever since and picked them up as a young Marine when I enlisted on the 29th of December, 1961. (laughs) So took that oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I've never regretted it and took that opportunity from the reserves to get the appointment to the Naval Academy and went off to become a rifle platoon commander in a place called Vietnam. So my life has been very exciting and been blessed by those children that I described in that opening statement uh, are now uh, 
grandparents of their own children. None of them were (laughs) married back in those days. We now have 18 grandchildren from those four children and their mates. And, uh, And this is fair season, so they're all at our farm out in the Blue Ridge Mountains, going to the Clark County Fair today. And that's why I'm at my office near Dulles Airport, so I can get some peace and quiet. Yeah. You know, what strikes me is if if the... See, so many people listening to us don't have any memory of what happened in that hearing and, and all the background of this. And I, I want to give them at least a glimpse. We don't want to get stuck on that because we want to talk about your new book, by the way, I want to mention. It's called The Giant Awakes. The Giant Awakes. So we're going to talk about it at great length in a few minutes. Uh, but when you were be- testifying before Congress, so many things have not changed. And uh, you were so hated by the um, congressman who sat over, you know, lauded, you know, pel- pel- pelted you with all these questions and waiting to humiliate you. You you were never humiliated, but they did actually end up charging you with three different counts, as I recall. Is that right? No. Uh, actually, the Congress did not charge because they couldn't. Uh, Congress can ask questions. And what Congress was so anxious to do was to get information that would lead to the impeachment of President Reagan. And they they just picked the wrong Marine and the wrong Admiral. Uh, Admiral John Poindexter and I uh, were the, quote, key witnesses to this whole issue that uh, started out as a violation of the congressional rule. The congressional rule was the Boland Amendment, which was in the Defense Authorization and Appropriations Bills. And so the Boland Amendment said, and pretty close to a quote, I don't have it in front of me, but no funds made available by this act may be used for the purposes or which would have the effect of providing direct or indirect support for military or paramilitary operations against the government of the Sandinistas in Managua, Nicaragua. That's a that's a paraphrase of it, but I think I've got it down pretty well. No one was ever charged with that, but violating that provision. First of all, it was not part of the criminal code. It simply said that the government could not spend money to help overthrow the government of Nicaragua, the communist government in Managua. And so there were no there were no provisions for a criminal code. So what they were hoping is that the people who testified would provide information very much like those who raided the president, former president's home down in Mar-a-Lago. They were trying to get information that would lead to the impeachment of President Ronald Reagan. There is no way in God's green earth that Ronald Reagan was going to be impeached. He was one of the finest presidents, certainly the finest president of my lifetime, and he's one of the finest presidents our country's ever had. He strengthened America at a time when we desperately needed it and brought down the evil empire, which is what he called it. He did what he said he was going to do. And for that, he was despised by the left that still existed way back then. It's just that today, it's much more powerful than it's ever been. It controls both houses of Congress and the executive branch. And if they had their way, they would control the judicial branch. That's why they keep talking about packing the court. The far left in America isn't Marxist. Marx was a piker compared to Stalin. These are Stalinists. Mm. The troika that's running the government of the United States today, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe, God bless his heart, Biden, that Mm. troika is taking America in the direction that Karl Marx only dreamed of and Stalin tried to carry out. You know what's striking is that the the methods that they use are, are the same. It's just the same thing. They try it over and over again. Their targets are always the same. Like there's a, there are a lot of similarities to me between Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't have 
the statesmanlike qualities of Ronald Reagan, uh, but he still red meat uh, loves America, and they have that in common. Uh, and so both became targets. I don't think people would remember Colonel North for the most part, unless they're a lot older, how hated Ronald Reagan was. And by uh, by uh, default, you and anyone who worked for him, if they had had their way, you would have been thoroughly destroyed. You would never have all those good things on your resume that you have now. You would have been probably in prison by now, but they did not succeed. Well, I, I'm sure that there were people who dreamed of putting me in prison. But thank good, thank it. I had a great attorney. And all it takes to get out of the, the bad things that they were trying to accuse you of is simply telling the truth. And it worked. They will never again put somebody up on a congressional hearing like they did to me. They're not gonna they're not gonna do that. That's why that's why this whole thing, this charade that's going on with this so called January sixth committee, there's no there's nobody being given the opportunity to to say anything good about what President Trump did. And so, and that's not fair. It's not balanced. It's not the right kind of thing to be doing in our legislative process. And unfortunately, uh, we've they've now complicated it even further with this raid that was done on his mar on his home in yes. Mar-a-Lago. That's never happened to an American president before. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that happens in totalitarian regimes, and the Biden regime is very much totalitarian today. And it's the kind of thing that happens in banana republics. No president yes. has ever gone through that kind of indignity before. No, and it's just gotten marginally worse and worse. You know, I think we saw President Nixon was the first president I ever saw uh, really come, the press come after and ravage. There was always respect for presidents before that. You know, even if they didn't agree, there was a respectful dialogue. But boy, the gloves were off. And we, but you're right. The difference is now they have power and they have numbers and they have the media and there are no alternate voices. And so, uh, it's like turning loose a rabid dog, and that's what's happening. Can we have some fun just for a second? Because I was reading sure. about you, and I was reading about uh, your time at the Naval Academy, uh, and there was this story, which is not funny, about uh, you were in a very serious car accident, and because of that, there was some question about whether you could function in your military role, and you sent the naysayers to a video of you in a boxing match with one of your classmates, Jim Webb, who became a senator from Virginia, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what was, he was that Secretary all... of the Navy as well. Secretary of the Navy, yeah. Well, okay, so what was that all about? Well, no, I there was concern that I could not be commissioned as a as a Marine officer, which is why I'd gone to the Naval Academy to begin with. And so just to make sure that the medical review board knew I could handle it, I sent them the video of that Navy boxing championship in which I beat Jim Webb. I mean I I beat him every time I boxed him, but in this particular <laughs> case, it was for the championship. So, hey, I can you, I can hack it as a Marine, and, yeah. and did. Yeah, and I got hurt a bunch of times as a, as a Marine. I got hurt a bunch of times as a Fox News correspondent, but I always got my job done. Yeah. When you were in Vietnam, uh, what was your role there? I was a rifle platoon commander and occasionally a company commander, acting company commander, because the company commanders had either been killed or wounded. Uh I had the great blessing of commanding uh, some remarkable young Marines, uh, one, of the, one of whom a song is written. He's a French-Canadian, and his, he graduated from high school in 1967 and wanted to work for his dad, who was in the, in the lumber business up in Presque Isle, Maine, which for those of us, those listening to us up in Maine know Presque Isle is one of those places where <laughs> on one side of the street you're in Canada, on the other side of the street you're in the United States. <laughs> and so 
he went looking for work because his dad said, I can hire five of these draft-dodging Americans for what it would take to hire one of you. So you go out and find another job. He walks over across the street, sees a U.S. Marine in a blue uniform and says, so what are you? And he says, I'm a U.S. Marine. He said, how do I get clothes like that? And he says, sign here. He takes the document home. His dad signs it. And he came in as a, as a rifleman, served in Vietnam courageously, tragically died in, in the year 2000 of the complications of cancer from Agent Orange, which is wow. one of the things that it took years for our, our government to realize what they were doing and how badly they were doing it. You know, this is a tough question. We only have a, like a minute and a half left or two in this segment, but uh, I've thought a lot about Vietnam myself, Colonel North, but you were there fighting. A lot of my friends were there fighting, and I was certainly watching the body bags that Walter Cronkite was counting every night on the news. Uh, I, I wonder, after all these years and all that's been said about it, if you feel that we were justified to be at, in Vietnam, or should we have never gone? Well, look, at we had agreements with the countries, not just with Vietnam, but with Thailand, and initially we had them with Laos and Cambodia. We, we had agreements that we were going to protect their countries from invasion by foreign powers and to be overthrown by internal insurgencies, okay? And we had that kind of an agreement with the Republic of Vietnam, which was commonly referred to as South Vietnam. And so initially it was a special operations, it was the Green Berets, and then it was advisors. And then by 1965, uh, the decision was made by Lyndon Johnson to put in American troops. And so the Marines were the first to land. Eventually, we ended up with pretty close to half a million in Vietnam. And it was one of the reasons why Richard Nixon did away with the draft. There were enormous protests around America. Interestingly enough, it was entirely different than the protests we had in 2020 here, where people simply burned down buildings and put people out of work and killed cops. It was enormous civil protests. And Richard Nixon eventually stopped the draft and ended the war. Yeah. All right. Well, let's come back. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but I also want to get to your book. The book is called The Giant Awakes, uh, and you can get it, by the way, at FaithfulText.com. If you want to bypass Amazon and all the rest of it, go to FaithfulText.com. We'll put that address on our getter page and also the name of the book so that you can remember it. But we're going to talk about the book so you'll know why you want to buy it. My guest is Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. We'll be back in a second. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. There were many problems. I believe that we worked as hard as we could to solve them, and sometimes we succeeded, and sometimes we failed. But at least we tried. And I want to tell you that I, for one, will never regret having tried. I believe that this is a strange process that you are putting me and others through. Apparently, the president has chosen not to assert his prerogatives, and you have been permitted to make the rules. You call before you the officials of the executive branch. You put them under oath for what must be collectively thousands of hours of testimony. You dissect that testimony to find inconsistencies and declare some to be truthful and others to be liars. You make the rulings as to what is proper and what is not proper. You put the testimony which you think is helpful to your goals up before the people and leave others out. It's sort of like a baseball game in which you are both the player and the umpire. 
It's a game in which you call the balls and strikes and where you determine who is out and who is safe. And in the end, you determine the score and declare yourselves the winner. From where I sit, it is not the fairest process. One thing is, I think, for certain, that you will not investigate yourselves in this matter. There is not much chance that you will conclude at the end of these hearings that the Bolin amendments and the frequent policy changes, therefore, were unwise, or that your restrictions should not have been imposed on the executive branch. You are not likely to conclude that the administration acted properly by trying to sustain the freedom fighters in Nicaragua when they were abandoned. And you are not likely to conclude by commending the President of the United States, who tried valiantly to recover our citizens and achieve an opening with strategically vital Iran. All right, that was the voice again of Lieutenant Colonel North, and that was 1987, the Iran-Contra hearings before the Senate. Uh, I, it just uh, makes me remember that some things never change, and I, I think it's good to hear that and to revisit the time in which that took place. That was a long time ago, but that's exactly what's happening in Congress right now in various ways. Lieutenant North, by the way, is a de combat decorated Marine. Uh, he, he won awards for his uh, valor in Vietnam. And then he served on the counterterrorism uh, force w for President Ronald Reagan on his National Security Council staff, and that's a place where he planned the rescue of hundreds of U.S. students on the island of Grenada. Uh, he planned the liberation of American hostages, the, the capture of the Achille Loro hijackers, and that raid on Muammar Gaddafi's terror base in Libya. That was, I'll never forget that. Gaddafi just sender, surrendered, did he not, as I recall? Uh, actually, no. We, uh, he's, he lived on all the way into the Obama administration. Obviously, he was curtailed considerably. And his terrorism activities were sadly uh, continued afterwards. Uh, they brought down Pan Am Flight 103. If you look at all of those activities of the Islamic Jihad that targeted my wife and children and me, came to our house with the intention of killing us uh, from a terror cell in actually in Fairfax, Virginia. Oh. It was called the People's Committee for Libyan Students. So Gaddafi lived on until you know, he was he was killed during the uprising and the civil war in his own country, uh, as a consequence, not of U.S. troops. We did, we did launch counterterrorism raids on his uh, facilities, led by a fellow by the name of Abu Nidal. Uh, Abu Nidal met yes. a, a sad end with self six inflicted, I think it was six self-inflicted head wounds, yeah. But I was thinking, there, wasn't there a story about Gaddafi coming? There was, during the course of all those years, the decades, at one point that he actually surrendered to the Americans in one of those raids. Like, he just wasn't willing to fight. That's what I remember, and I don't know when, which one it was. And I always thought it was funny, uh, because here he was this uh, terrorist that was had done so many horrible things, and he was just uh, not willing to fight, as I recall, the incidents I'm remembering. But he was um, he was someone that you ha had access to, and... I remember when you testifying, you testified to the terrorist threats against you and your family and how you were having to pay private security. And I still remember, Colonel North, how strange that sounded to me. Not that I didn't believe you. It's just that we were, that was so foreign to us then, that there would be terrorists here on our shores and that you would be, you know, uh, anything less than safe in the United States. Um, and yet you were the first person to alert us to, uh, to Islamic terrorism here in this country. Well, I mean, 
you have to remember that what what we ended up doing, and it, it began during the Reagan administration, is we got more actively involved with what was going on in Southwest Asia. Well, we took sides in the fight in Afghanistan. Uh, we armed the Mujahideen to, to kick out the Soviets, and they did. At the end of the day, however, that active engagement in that part of the world brought forth a lot of attacks on Americans, not just the hijacking of airplanes and blowing them out of the sky, but also attacks the U.S. Marines in 1983, 241 of them killed in Beirut, blew up our embassy in Beirut three times. Those kinds of attacks that were all over the place, many cases fomented by these, by by people like Gaddafi, but also by terrorist organizations. Uh, the, the murder of Leon Klinghoffer aboard the Achille Loro, yes. an Italian cruise ship. He was murdered just because he was an American Jew in a wheelchair, and they yeah, threw his body over the side. Those weren't state-sponsored terrorist organizations. Those were Islamic radical organizations, unlike the Libyans, which was a state sponsor of terrorism, as Iran is today. I mean, those those terror attacks against the West, not just America, but against the West, was aimed at stomping out American and Western Christian influence in that part of the world. I mean, the the, the fatwas that were issued against people like Salman Rushdie who is now, it looks like, going to recover from the attack on him in upstate New York here over the weekend. Salman Rushdie published a book called uh, Satanic Verses. Verses. Satanic Verses. And therefore a fatwa was issued, a religious edict, by the the new religious dictator in Iran, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, issued the fatwa and offered $3 million to anybody that would kill him. That means going to that will follow Salman Rushdie the rest of his life. I mean, when you, when we see that kind of activity, it's very important that we stand up to it. That's what makes the outcome in Afghanistan so horrific. Yes. It's not simply the matter that we got out of there; it's how we got out. Leaving a war is a good thing if you do it the right way. Doing the right thing the wrong way, like this administration did it in Afghanistan, puts us at far greater jeopardy than we were in before 9-11. The 9-11 attacks weren't state-sponsored attacks. They were done by an organization called Al-Qaeda. And Al-Qaeda was getting the support from the people that are now running Afghanistan. We were in a much stronger position in in 2001, 9-11-01, than we are today, even though the same people are running the country. Yes, and and well, so if, guess... you look at, if, if you look at the outcome in Afghanistan, and where we are positioned in the world today, we're in far worse shape today than we were before 9-11. Well, I absolutely. I totally agree with you. I also think of Iran. You know, the headlines are filled with uh, the Biden administration begging Iran to join in on this Iran deal again, knowing that, speaking of fatwas, they have fatwas out for John Bolton, for Mike Pompeo, uh, members right. of the Trump admin- administration. And yet the Biden administration doesn't seem concerned about that at all, is trying to make deals with them. Explain to us, if you can, uh, how dangerous well, I, that is. Well, f- first of all, what what they're trying to do is what was tried in the Obama administration to let the Iranians build nuclear weapons. Okay, Ronald Reagan succeeded in large part because he knew what we wanted to get done. He told the American people what he wanted to do, and the American people backed him up in it for two terms. What this administration is doing is putting America at enormous risk. The, if the Iranians have the ability to build and deliver a nuclear weapon, they will do so. 
the people running the place are nuts. That the idea that we're going to support the Iranians or believe the Iranians when they say, "Oh, it's only for per- you know peaceful defensive purposes," or they've got to be inhaling something. If you if you look at what they say, they will do what they've been saying now for the last fifteen years. They will destroy the great Satan and the little Satan. The little Satan being, of course, Israel. Israel. And so the ideas of what they've been saying they're going to do, they will carry out. And how in the dickens this administration has gotten so far with that concept, alienating all the people who were rational in that part of the world, and then abandoning it the way they did. Not that it was wrong to get out, but they did the right thing the wrong way. At the end of the day, we're in far worse shape, far greater jeopardy than we ever were, we've ever been in, in my lifetime. Yes. And I sincerely believe that. I do, too. And I do, too. And it seems like that, you know, we think back to when the Iran-Contra hearings, the think back to the Reagan administration, to the protests in the streets during the 70s, during the Vietnam War, the anti-nuclear protests, uh, the burning down of, you know, the, the Black Resistance, the Black Panthers, uh, the Weather Underground, all of that. Those were frightening times. And yet... It's the same thing now. It's just a hundredfold, and it's just more frightening. I agree with you. And so that takes us to China, which, by the way, is uh, kind of the central uh, superpower that is you focus on in your book, The Giant Awakes. You're talking about China. Let's talk about China just a little bit, then we'll talk about how you cover that in your book. Um, China, you know, I, I would love to know what you think Colonel, about the possibility of China invading Taiwan in October. I've heard that from other sources, other, and most recently I heard that maybe not because she seems to be in some kind of trouble at home uh, with his popularity. I'd just love to know what your thoughts are on that prospect. Well, uh, the very first book that Fidelis Publishing published was America's number one adversary, and that is, of course, communist China. Xi is a dictator. Let's not kid ourselves. He he may call himself president of China, and he is technically, but his real power comes from being the general secretary of the Communist Party of China. And his power power is backed up by a Politburo that wants China to become the number one most dominant power on the planet Earth. That's exactly what he's trying to do. And he's been well on his way of doing it because for 25 years, America has been treating China like some poor... Oriental stepchild that needs our help. And so they've got an enormous advantage economically. They conducted espionage, industrial espionage especially, that's put them in a position where today they are the second largest economy on the planet Earth and soon will surpass us if we don't smarten up real quick. Xi Jinping has made it clear his ultimate goal is to make communist China the dominant economic and military power on Earth. It's the largest military on the planet. They now have more combatant ships and aircraft than we do. They're building new ones three times faster than ours. They've now built what we call hypersonic weapons. And so America's number one adversary is actually in this new book, which is a novel. And you've taken and all the novels that I've done, on my 21 books, <laughs> uh, almost half of them are novels. And and all you have to do to make a great novel is take the things that are actually happening. And because I have to run my books through the publication review process, make sure that there's no classified information in it. I want to make sure that I don't put somebody in jeopardy because I accidentally said something or wrote something that is not that's still classified. So we're very careful about that. I look at current events 
and I take those current events, and if you change enough of the dates, times, places, and names, you can make a novel out of it. And I've done that successfully. This novel is all about communist China and the terrible things that they do. And in the novel, I actually mention the words from America's number one adversary. And it was published in, in 2020. It was written by three senior members of Ronald Reagan's National Security Council staff, Admiral John Poindexter, Bud McFarlane, who just died and was buried, and uh, Richard uh, Levine, who is the NSC Security Policy Director. This this book is about wake up to the threat that we're facing. The reason why Z is less likely today to go to try to take Taiwan by force is because the Ukrainians have shown how to fight back. The Ukrainians have stood up to the Soviet Empire and basically probably inflicted on the on the Russian on the Russian troops three to five times more casualties than the Ukrainians have taken themselves. Why? Because one, their country's been invaded. Number two, they're going to stand up and fight for their country. Number three, they're smart people and they're tough. And what they've got is a leader, Zelensky, who is probably the most popular head at a state in the world today because he stood up to the, the, the vicious, horrible attacks that they've been subjected to. And so I think how does Z that is, Z is, how, yeah, no, how does that affect Z's his opinion? Saying, okay. Well, no, I think Z is, wait a minute. What what would happen if the United States? I'll give you a scenario. What what just happened when when Pelosi was there was you saw this bluster coming out of Z and the Politburo and his military, the biggest on earth, right? They did. They ran aircraft across the, the so-called border. They ran ships into the quote national waters, the economic zone of Taiwan, and they threatened people. They threatened, you know, actually, at one point, to shoot down Pelosi's airplane. Bluster. Same as The same thing happened with Putin. Putin blustered about using nuclear weapons. He's not going to use nuclear weapons. If he gave the order today, there would be people down the line in what they call the permissive action links who would deny him the opportunity to use the weapons. There would be a mutiny, in other words. Z was worried about that, and he knew if we had done the right thing and get more weapons to Taiwan right after those threats, he'd never do it. But he's yes, not so, do it October. Well, that's interesting. That's very interesting. They surprised me. I didn't know they would show so much bluster and then back down. That really shocked me. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Colonel Oliver North, and we're now going to talk about this new book called The Giant Awakes, and that giant is China. That's who he's talking about, and we're going to talk about the content of the book, and you're going to love it, so stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. And it's a real privilege to be able to talk to Lieutenant Colonel North. Uh, it's just uh, I've always admired him and I haven't had hardly any conversations with him, but uh, his resume, his uh, patriotism. Uh, putting his, uh, you know, money where his mouth is, where the rubber meets the road. We have so, we have too few, uh, certainly military people now who do that. I was just talking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, uh, Colonel North, um, on the occasion of the Afghan withdrawal, and 
you know, he's so beaten down by the leadership that he experienced in Afghanistan, by the military leadership now, that it's very, very hard. So you're a sterling example of the opposite of that. But let's get into the book. You've written this with a gentleman named Bob Hamer, and Bob is a former uh, FBI agent. He worked for 25 years, 26 years as a special agent. He worked undercover with gangs. Uh, he worked. Uh, he posed as a drug dealer, a contract killer, a pedophile, an international weapons dealer, a white-collar criminal. And you guys have uh, taken your own experiences and woven them into this novel based on a guy who's an FBI agent named, is it Jake Cruz? Is it Cruz? Yes. Okay. Jake. So Jake, all and, right. And, yeah. And Jake, and Jake is a fictional character, but an awful lot of what you see in the book are real people. And like I say, you you can, and we've done this successfully a number of times, taken current events, and if you change enough of the dates, times, places, and names, you can call it a novel. And people know in their hearts, this guy, this activity, this event, I know when that happened. Mm-hmm. But you can still call it fiction. As long as you're not going to defame somebody or kill somebody who doesn't really want to die. And in our case, Bob Hamer and I both have killed a lot of people. And we both served in the Marines together. Uh, my resume includes 72 successful ambushes. And I've got a medal that says that. And it wasn't just me. It was all these brave Marines that I, I had the opportunity to serve with in a faraway place called Vietnam. So I then taught tactics down at Quantico and taught a lot of counterterrorism out at the FBI Academy. All those kinds of activities are the kinds of things that are in this book. And the, and the kinds of people that our adversaries are, are certainly in this book. So in the book, I'm just going to read, here's page 214. Okay. Okay. Please do. Here it is. Very, very, very briefly. It was published in 2020. It's called America's Number One Adversary. It was written by three senior members of Ronald Reagan's National Security Council staff. Admiral John Poindexter and Bud McFarland were President Reagan's National Security Advisor. Richard Levine was Reagan's National Security Council Security Policy Director. Reaching into his old, well-worn map case, Major General Newman pulled out a copy of the book, handed it to Jake, and said, If you want the straight scoop of what the chai are up to, read this book. In just a few hours, you'll read about all the PRC is doing to take us down. What happened in Ukraine didn't just change any of what's in, in the, didn't change anything that's in this book. Putin's goal is to dominate Europe. Xi Jinping's goal is to di- is to dump. Dom- I can actually read English too. Xi Jinping's <laughs> goal is to dominate the whole world, including us. He is much more dangerous than Putin ever could be. Now that's that's one paragraph on page two fourteen of this book. That is a fact. That's what's really happening. And taking the events of what's really happening, novels are a good way to wake people up. I mean, the, the reality of it is some great things came about as a consequence of novels. If you, yes. if you looked at Gulliver's Travels, that's a novel. And yet it, it began to change the society back to reality. Um, if you read any of the books written in the science fiction books of the late 1800s, around the world in 80 days. Now we go around the world with a hypersonic weapon in 80 minutes. All of those yes. kinds of things change, uh, change events, change practices, change policies sometimes changes politics. This, this book, I hope, is a wake-up call before this November. This November's elections are crucial to saving this country. Yes. The ideas that are being advanced by this, the, the, 
the Biden regime in Washington are very much akin to what Xi Jinping uses against his own people. And, so, and we've got a chance. And this is my chronic optimism, because uh, <laughs> of all that you guys are doing, the Family Association, all that's all that's being done by people who are no better than to just listen to the propaganda being put out by these people. We've got a chance to stand up, we the people, and fix things. And we'd better because my 18 grandchildren deserve a better outcome than Biden and the rest of this crowd is going to give them. Well, I'm with you. for that. Yeah, absolutely. And me too. With God's help, uh, there's nothing that it's impossible. No question about it. So in this novel, you're through Jake's eyes and through his investigations, you expose the underbelly of what the Chinese are up to and how they're operating. This is on the West Coast, but you're giving a glimpse into the dangers of this uh, a, a giant that's asleep or has been asleep until recently. Yeah. Right? Here's, the, here's where the title comes from. And I'll, I'll read you the quote right up the front, right at the front end of the book, because people said, where did you get the title for this thing? And well, the title comes from, it's a quote from a, a great world leader. Not the kind of great world leader some people even think of in, in terms of today's context. Here it is. China is a sleeping giant. Let her sleep for when she wakes... She'll move mountains. Let her sleep, for when she wakes, she will shake the world. Napoleon Bonaparte. So that's where the that's where the title of the book comes from. Isn't it's that interesting quote. that he felt that way then? I mean, isn't that oh, interesting? Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. In the in the early eighteen hundreds. I mean, think about it. You know, I'm going to yeah. ask you something. Well, he's about right. something. When I was in uh, on radio in Chicago, when I first started on radio, that was in the mid nineties, and Bill Gertz used to be. A frequent guest. Sure. I know you know Bill is, you know wrote about China a lot, and that yep. was at the height of the free trade movement, where businessmen and you know uh, businesses <laughs> were going to, to help China. Yes, exactly, and yep. and also this notion that if we just did business with them, they'd be less threatening. And it was a peaceful time, but it was Bill was telling me. Meanwhile, the the military is writing these treatises about how and laying out plans to conquer yep. the United States. And I'm thinking this is schizophrenic. Were they sleeping yeah. then? What was happening then, Colonel North? What? No, there, there were people actually, who actually perceived that as a developing country, China ought to be allowed to waive all things like the real rules of trade and things like that. Number two, they could get away with polluting the planet because they're, quote, a developing nation. So we, we'll, we'll do what we have to do to clean up the atmosphere and save the whales and turn, turn, the, turn, turn everything green. Right. And China doesn't have to because they're a developing country. Incredibly effective propaganda on their part. So that deception actually worked. Meanwhile, they're buying one of everything they can in America, shipping it back to China, taking it apart and trying to reverse engineer it. And that includes everything from helicopter blades to turbine blades to to new engines to, for example, they make better solar panels than anybody on the planet. They've had a lot of practice. Okay, and so now what we're going to do is we're going to continue to invest in the Chinese economy by buying solar panels and windmills to accomplish the, quote, green ideals of the far left in this country. I mean, God help us. What what they've what they've done is effectively use every possible measure against us. So, for example, in this book, you, you mentioned the fact that Bob Hamer had once posed as a as a as a sexual pervert. Right. Didn't, yes. didn't have to do any of the acts, but that's how he that's how he took down major political figures, people, judicial figures, educators, took them down. And, and some of them are still in jail as they ought to be. I mean, you mm-hmm. think about the doctor that was the, the medical expert for the U.S. Olympic 
gymnastics, yes. women's gymnastics team. He'll spend the rest of his life in jail, and he ought to. Because yeah. perversions like that need to be detected. The, the, the Chinese use those techniques. There's cases named in this book or the Chinese have gone after people for what? For blackmail. I mean, think, think about one of the problems that this administration has is because, Tucker, because Hunter Biden was doing the things that he did, it's very likely that there are Chinese who have information about the big guy, as they called him, the big guy, that could easily compromise this presidency. People say, why is Biden doing this? Or maybe, maybe the old man is just out, so far out of it. Or maybe, don't ever underestimate the power of blackmail. And that's what this book is all about, blackmail. Wow. All right, so they this— use it, They use it very effectively. Tell us a little bit more about the plot. So Jake is an undercover FBI agent. Uh, he chooses to, to go undercover rather than wearing a suit and being a, you know, a street agent <laughs> or whatever he did. And so what does he do? Can you give us an idea without giving, spoiling anything? Well, he poses as a, as an asset of one of their intelligence services. You have to remember that we one of the things that that Mike Pompeo did when he was Secretary of State, he worked with the Director of National Intelligence, and we shut down the Houston, Texas consulate of the Communist Chinese. That's that story's in this book. Why did we shut uh-huh. it down? Because it was a bed of spies, right? I mean, they had over thirty clandestine services officers from their intelligence services in that consulate. And and we're getting away with literally murder, okay, and the idea of, of blackmailing government po- American politicians and American business leaders. And one of the ways in which they do that is they, they act on the perversions of these these people who think that they're mightier than God. I mean, yes, why was do. Bill Gates... Ha- why, why, just, here's a question. Bill Gates, why were you hanging around with this guy Epstein? <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking the question. Yes. What, what, exactly. what I'm suggesting, Sandy, is, is that we need to be attuned to the fact that in every dimension of our culture, our society, our economy, our politics, there's a communist element working for the Chinese. Either it's an American who's been twisted and perverted, or it's a Chinese national who is posing as something other than what they really are. All that's in this book. It's a good, it's a thriller. It's a thriller. Okay. But it's got, well, it's got some really scary parts to it. This is the second book you have of, uh, based on this agent, Jake, Jake Cruz, right? Second yes. one? It's the second, yep. Yeah. And, and you, more. by the way, there's your books coming. are New York Times bestselling novels, so just so people know this. Yeah. And you can get this at fatefultext.com. It's just come out this week. It's brand new, hot off the press. Yeah, so you yeah. go to faithfultext.com. Be a great gift for someone in your family who loves to read. And, uh, uh, and so I, you get a bigger di- you, you get a bigger discount by going to faithfultext.com than by going to Amazon. You can still get it on Amazon. Don't get me wrong, but you get a bigger discount by going to Faithful Text. Let me ask you a personal question as we're we're almost out of time, uh, Colonel, because, you know, uh, in the 80s and earlier than that, even into the 90s, I don't think in the public sphere and politics and news, we talked much about faith. We just didn't. We were more, we just, it was more quiet. Billy, you know, Jimmy Carter made headlines because he said he was a born again Christian, you know, and that was unusual. And now faith is woven into the dialogue a lot more. And I, I had no idea that you were a Christian uh, all those years, because we just didn't talk about those things in public arena. Uh, but I was just wondering, your own personal faith walk, how does that affect you in your view of all that's happening in the world? 
How, how do you assimilate well, all of that? Well, first of all, I have, I have ultimate confidence. I truly am an optimist. I know where I am going, and I know why I am going there. And that's a big plus, because a lot of times people who don't know where they're going or why they're going there are, can lead you, lead you astray. I don't have to worry about that. And, and And so my whole activity every day is focused on behaving as a man who fears the Lord. I'm I'm not a, it's the only thing I fear. I'm not afraid of it. People would look back on the footage of the the hearings that you say, played some sound from and say you weren't even you weren't even sweating and it was July. It was everybody was <laughs> said I know where I'm going and I know why I'm going there. I at one point coming out the the gate the now famous gate in front of our house over in Great Falls where we don't live anymore. Don't bother those poor people. They're nice folks. They bought the house <laughs> and, and they added on to it. And so as the reporters would circle the car, Brennan, my lawyer, had said, don't run over any of them, for heaven's sakes, because they'd stand right in front of the car. The guy would hold up the Washington compost and that I hadn't even seen yet that day. And, and, and the guys would say, have you seen this headline? It says you stole Nancy Reagan's shoes to help the cultures or whatever it said. And it was just, <laughs> I said, you know, guys, I read two things every morning. I read that newspaper and the Holy Bible so I know what both sides are up to. And of course, it, it's, it's not my line, but it's, it's all true. The fact is, my faith has carried me. There's been so many times when I could have died, could have been killed, and I'm still here. The good Lord hasn't done with me yet. Yes, Sandy, it's been great to be with you. God bless. It's been wonderful to talk to you, Lieutenant Colonel North. And the book is called The Giant Awakes. The Giant Awakes. You can get it at Faith text.com faithful faithfultext.com and i encourage you to do that so thank you so much colonel north and um, i hope you enjoyed this show i bet you did and you will love this book sandy rios in the morning on afr talk